0: Welcome to Coordinated Strike. I'm your host, Joe. And it is the few days before Gen Con. I'm going to try and get this out to everybody that may be driving down or missing it. So Gen Con is upon us. And with Gen Con, we are going to see the first um, major public demos of Toss outside of Origins. And I'm very excited for this. Uh, I know all of the weird slots have sold out for it, uh, but I also know that uh, if you want a demo, you can go into the actual weird booth. Uh, they're going to have some demo table there. And then the learn-to-play sessions uh, are the ones that are definitely sold out. Those, uh, if you've got generics, you may have a slight shot at getting one if somebody fails to show up, because obviously Gen Con is Disney World for those that haven't gone and, you know, you either get caught up in line somewhere else, it takes too long to get food, or you're having fun doing something else and you just happen to miss your time frame. So, never fear, there's probably ways to get your game on at Gen Con. So, I'm gonna be there, uh, I will be running the Malifo events for, uh, Weird Miniatures I've done the last few years. So, I'll be the guy at the, uh, the big booth in the events hall. Uh, probably asking for your ticket and and telling you where to go. So, uh, if you, if you're there, stop by, say hi. Love to talk toss with you when I'm not, uh, actively running an event. So, with that out of the way, I want to make sure that you've got some good listening for your drive down or when you're, you're thinking about it. And I also want to let you know that I will be doing as much coverage as I possibly can, uh, during my off time. So, I know we're supposed to have some uh goodies there for us to look at in terms of uh, production models. Uh as they normally do, so I'm assuming they're going to have some Toss stuff. So I will be taking pictures of all of that like crazy. I'll be taking pictures of the Toss demo area, uh the Toss uh, learn to play area as well. So you're going to get your fill just look at it. it most of it's going to be on the uh, the other place, and then I'll also link over to a weird place as well, and on the Twitter, so make sure you're following me at CheatedFatesJoe. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk about tonight's main topic. I wanted to go big today. Uh, Gen Con is huge, it's the 50th uh, Gen Con, not the 50th anniversary, the 50th actual event of Gen Con. So, with that, I th- was thinking... You know, something very large. Probably four things that are very large. Something titanic in nature. And that's right, we're going to be talking about the titans today. And what it means to be a titan class in the other side. Uh, these are the big stompies uh, that each of your factions, each of your allegiances have. They are sort of the pinnacle of how that... A uh, particular allegiance likes to wage war. And so I figured we'd start in kind of an odd place, um, because I'm a little neglectful of this particular allegiance, and I apologize. I know a lot of you are very much into the Burning Man. So let's start off with the Gorsythe. All right, so the Gorsythe is a hulking behemoth of many dragon like heads. It's very similar to a Hydra. Uh it actually comes from Eastern European myth in terms of the Gorsythe, so and it's it's essentially a Hydra. Uh as you take out heads, heads are replaced. And it functions mechanically the same with rapid regeneration. So when this unit activates you can discard a card and attach one snapping head asset. Uh it has a hungry Mao attack, uh value six versus defense, high strength and the target's gonna gain a shaken token. So again, f- follows all of how the, how the Cult of the Burning Man kind of operates. They're gonna operate on high efficiency attacks that are gonna weaken the effectiveness of the opponent. And they're gonna be pretty well made out of paper on the other end. Uh, the Gorsyth clocks in at armor six. For those, uh, counting at home, there are one, two, three, four, five, five infantry options in Call to the Burning Man that have one armor higher than the Titan. And typically, uh, the armor values on Titans are typically higher than your infantry across the broader spectrum. But again, because it's the pinnacle of the Burning Man, and the Burning Man is about high-value attack... And not so much staying power, you get armor six on the Gorsythe. Uh it is a it's designed primarily as a close combat beater. Uh it has a very strong speed of seven base and it can utilize the portals. So you've got a lot of tactical depth with this particular piece of this particular creature of war. Uh, let's look at a Snapping Head Asset. Uh, the Snapping Head Asset is plentiful, so you can have more than one of them attached. It is versatile, so again, you're getting that extra attack for each one of these that you have. Uh, the Jaw itself is base 3 uh, versus defense, and then while dueling, uh, this actually means gains plus plus 1 AV for every Snapping Head Asset attached to this unit, uh, and it is a base strength of 3. So, the more heads you've got, the more effective that Snapping Jaw's attack is going to be. So, If you were following along at home, base cost of this is seven. You could add two snapping heads and bring this in at nine points. And then when it activates, you can rapid regenerate and discard a card. And then you attach your third snapping head asset. So you can actually get this one at a little bit of a discount and still have a full asset load. It's something to consider. Uh, but there are other configurations that may serve you a little bit better and be a little more interesting as you, as you go through. Uh, the disable on that is two. So if you go a full head loadout, it can take six damage, uh, on its front side, three damage on each of the assets on the back side. So one asset, one on each of the assets once they're damaged. So, it can absorb 9 base before it takes its last effective wound. So, while it may not have as much armor value, it does have a lot of potential to stay in the fight because of rapid regeneration uh, every turn. And remember, reinforcement tokens can be spent to flip a damaged asset, so... Lots of ways to kind of stay in the fight. If you want to get a little more survivable in terms of the, the spikes that can happen because you are lower armor uh, with higher strength weapons, you can get, you can add on a bad breath. Uh, again, it's a versatile. Uh, it gives you a ranged attack uh, that is also area. And it has a trigger for nimble, so it can help with the uh, additional mobility on this beast, which is not bad at all. Uh, then there's the splitting tail. This will take up a tail slot. Uh, adds plus three speed. And when a fire team in the unit is placed at base contact with a portal marker, it may immediately move up to five inches. So we can use this asset in a lot of different ways, and this is probably one that I would utilize quite a bit. Uh, we're bo- boosting it up to strength to speed 10, which means your effective rush is 20 inches. Additionally, you can utilize the portal, and what you do you're gonna get a five inch move Now, you can think about this asset in a couple of different ways. So if I'm utilizing my speed i have a I have a great threat pro- threat projection of twenty inches on a rush order uh, so with the maws themselves you're looking at 3-inch reach, so I really have 23 inches of threat. That's substantial. On top of that, I can slither between the spaces, so if I am placed with the portal marker, I can immediately move 5. So we can either use this offensively, or I think the stronger portion of this is to utilize it defensively, where you can... project early project late and let's say you get um, you have the ability to strike first in the second turn you activate first you could potentially activate him wreck something advance back to a, one of your advanced portal markers portal marker back and then move five inches further back to protect yourself from greater retaliation. So you can kind of yo-yo way more effectively with the splitting tail. So does is a very tempting asset to start with. Uh, then there's also mighty tail. Mighty tail is what you can take instead of the splitting tail. Uh, it's again versatile. You can tail whip. Uh, you get the tail whip attack, uh, which autom which has a built-in trigger for nimble. Uh, Strength three and it's piercing, so pretty strong. And then it has a slap trigger. So if the target was not a Titan, you move that target directly one inch away from this fire team. And it can be triggered multiple times, and that's on a margin of one. So gives you a little bit of push-pull there on the tail. I'm not as in love with this one personally, but I can see uses and merit to it. And then, of course, there's fast regeneration. Uh, this is on the body. With this one, uh you can flip an asset to reduce damage. You may flip the top two cards of your fate deck, uh, which may not be cheated. If any of the flip cards are a ram, the asset is not flipped, but the damage is still reduced. So fast regeneration can really keep you in the fight. Uh, and again, all these are one stones. And then there's on the body you can take a zero stone asset or a zero script asset, which is withering corals, um, undulting coils. Uh, fire teams in this unit are immune to hazardous terrain. Hazardous terrain is something you have to be very aware of in this game, and you also have to be aware that when you're doing rush orders, anything that's been declared as difficult becomes becomes hazardous on a rush order. And hazardous terrain in this game is no joke. Um, additionally, any fire team that's moved over during its activation suffers a strength one hit. As fire team's movement is complete. These penetration flips may not be cheated. And it has a disable of 4 on it. So, it's a neat asset to kind of consider. And of course the snapping head So there's a lot of different configurations you can kind of build out and build your monster the way that you want it to be. I think for me, what I would consider... initially, as I'm kind of learning this faction, is I would take the Splitting Tail, and I would take two Snapping Heads. The intention being... The first asset I'm going to damage and potentially reduce all the way out is going to be the Splitting Tail. Splitting Tail is going to be very powerful early game, less powerful later in the game, just because everything should be kind of centralized at that point. And I can start moving to a three-head configuration. Now, alternatively, you could go... With fast regeneration, a bad breath, and then just adding a snapping head at the beginning of the turn for a card. It's really up to you and how you want to build your particular maniac. Alright, so how does he kind of stack up to the rest of the field? I feel he's a pretty good Titan Hunter. He's got very high strength on his attacks. He's got the ability to generate a lot of attacks. Uh, but he has to get the, he has to strike first. If you let him get shot up, he is going to be blown off the table relatively easily because he's got very low armor. So, to put it into perspective, if you're a strength 2 weapon, you need a four to do one damage. And the real trick against titans in general is volume of fire. Because of how the, because of how the asset system works. It's way more powerful to do a lot of small damage to a unit than it is to do these big bursts because of the disla- disable mechanic. So, if I take one damage, I still have to flip an asset to reduce it, even if my overall disable is higher. So, with that in mind, the Gorsight really lets my low-strength shooting have a ton of value against it. That's not to say that it's a useless piece. I think it has quite a bit of strength, uh as an attack piece, but you have to use it wisely. I think this is going to be a real skill piece on the table. Because of the speed that it has, you're going to be really looking to take advantage of its longer reach because it can engage without having the opponent... Um, be able to retaliate because most things in this game have a two-inch uh, melee range. This has a three-inch uh, melee range, and and so does its additional heads that it can put on. So that's extra threat and an extra layer of protection that kind of helps it out quite a bit. So when you're thinking about this piece, I want to think I want you to think about its positioning on the table. Uh, this this one probably has the most uh, skill required to use effectively. Because it's about keeping threat on your opponent and forcing them to have to deal with it in inefficient manners. So, I think the Gorsythe is going to be one of those titans that when you see it, and see it played well, uh, you're going to go, I have no idea how to beat this. And when you see somebody that is still kind of learning it, I think they're going to think, I don't know clue how I ever win using this uh, particular titan. And I think some of the ways to kind of help mitigate that feeling is make sure you're building it with a purpose. Make sure your asset load is supporting the game that you want to play because uh, if you're going at if you're going to use it as a titan hunter uh, I'm going to want the tail whip so I'm going to want mighty tail I'm going to want the I'm going to want withering coils I'm, gonna, I'm sorry I'm going to want fast healing and I'm going to want another head Actually, I think I'm going to want bad breath on that. And the reason I want the bad breath over the snapping head is the snapping head, I think, is something you move into as your assets kind of get broke off. As opposed to a strategy that you start with if you're going Titan hunting. I want to have the ability to be more mobile than some of my opponents' ones, because the Gorsythe, the Gorsythe is one of the fastest uh, titans in the game, and I think we have to really play to its strengths, which are its speed and its hitting power. And so, I want to make sure that we're getting our volume of attack in the right spot, and that we're putting in into the right thing. Uh, so I don't know if if Titan Hunting is really where I want this. I think the ECB do Titan Hunting just so much better than the Gorsythe. I think the value in the Gorsythe is that for 9 points I can take a pure infantry killing machine and still have and still have it be fully loaded. So I think for me, I would build mine double snapping head and then throw on a snapping head on activation and play it going after, going after infantry and just play a very aggressive game, uh, with this in the, in kind of the mid game. I mean, that's one configuration that you kind of, kind of do and think about. I want to know what you think on the Gorsythe. uh, he is an interesting piece for sure, and I definitely think he's probably the highest skill uh, titan in the game. Not to say that the other ones aren't, but I think that getting the most work out of this particular model is going to really separate uh, the Cult of the Burning Men Acolyte from the Cult of the Burning Man High Priest. Alright, so our next one is keeping to the Malifo side of things and the, gib- and the melee side of things, let's take a look at the Gibbering Horde's Alpha Crawler. Uh, the Alpha Crawler is huge. He is a speed 7, so he matches the Gorsythe in speed, armor 11, uh, has a damage reduction mechanic utilizing reinforcement tokens. Uh, again, has a 3-inch melee range, a little bit lower strength, but again, can, on a ram trigger, utilize reinforcement token to gain additional margin value. And there's a lot of different ways to build him, so let's kind of get into his assets. So again, we have a melee beater that's kind of speedy, and we have on his leg slot the ability to take over eager, which is one of my favorite upgrades in the game because it provides furious charge. And furious charge says uh, when this unit receives the rush order, it gains plus two speed and plus two acting value for the duration of its action of its activation. So for one stone or one script, I get. Uh plus two speed when I rush. So I go from speed seven to speed nine. I'm able to double that. So I have 18 inch non-linear movement and then I have three inch uh, additional reach. So 21 inches of threat on overeager. Quite good. I go up to acting value 8 on my main attack. Pretty solid. Uh, alternatively, I can go with the powerful legs option. This gives me a tactical action where I can place this fire team anywhere within six of its current position, not touching any other fire team. Uh, this fire team may then take a melee attack range against, or melee attack action against a target in range. So, pretty neat. Uh, I think the real power on this one is if you have an enemy that likes to jam and It's kind of boxing you out. This lets you jump over them. Uh I think in a Gibbering Hordes on Gibbering Hordes matchup, this may actually be a very strong uh very strong asset to consider. Then there's rolling innards, uh it gives you versatile attack, project vomit, uh eight inch range, strength two uh is one of the first things we see that uh removes glory. So if the target isn't glory, you can play this, or you can uh, hit them with this particular Vomit, and they de-Glory. And then on a Mask, they uh, discard all their reinforcement tokens. So, pretty strong ability there. Then in the body slot, uh, we have another versatile attack for thrown Spear. Uh, range 10, Strength 2. Gains plus 1 strike for each reinforcement token on it. On a ram, so again, interesting gives you a little more range uh, options as you're coming in to someone. Kind of a neat one. In the other body slot, though, is one of my absolute favorite, which is massive arms. Uh, action on this card is mainly be taken, or it's a versatile. Uh, again, acting value six on the charge is going to be acting value eight. Uh, three inch range, strength five. Uh, and on a ram trigger, uh, the damage cannot be reduced by the champion special roll. So, gives you some strong ability into the, uh, model. Or, you can take multi-limbed, my preferred method. Again, versatile. Uh, clawed hand, again, acting value six, base. On a rush order, it's active value 8. Strength 3. On a mask, you can discard a reinforcement token to take this action again. So quite strong there. Uh, again, you're going to want to build... There's kind of two builds that are sort of going on with the Alpha Crawler. There is the Overeager. Uh, rolling Innards. and multi-limbed configuration where you're playing to rush as often as possible uh get as close to the enemy as possible your projectile vomiting onto them you're de the de a unit then you're hitting it with your main, uh, weapon melee attack, your versatile multi-limbed, and if you have the trigger and a reinforcement token, you're, f- uh, doing three melee attack, da- three melee attacks and a projectile vomit onto your target. Not a lot's going to be able to hold up to that much strength three hitting. Alternatively, you're looking at uh, a powerful legs ridden by crawlers, massive arms configuration. In this configuration, you're kind of utilizing uh, some more tactical play. Uh, you're not looking to rush, you're looking to position jump in, take a melee attack with the crushing hands off of the tactical action, off of the morale action, then utilize utilizing massive arms to versatile. So, kind of gives you a different feel, uh, more of a positional piece. Uh, under the under that particular configuration, and then there's a couple other ways you can go about it. Um, you could go a powerful legs into rolling innards uh, into multi-limbed or over eager with ridden by crawlers and massive arm, and those are going to play similarly. the The alpha to me. Uh, is built to get into the fight, stay in the fight as long as it can, and wreak havoc. It is a disruptor piece in the purest sense of the word. Um, it's going to go in, it's going to try and beat down whatever the enemy's core is. If the enemy's core is infantry, it's going after infantry. If the enemy's core is a titan, it is going after the titan. And it's doing so up close and personal, and I really like the alpha and I really like the alpha in pair uh, in pairs. I am planning on running two alphas uh, as a matter of course in my gibbering hordes and the reason for this is again, it's kind of the paragon of the faction paragon of the of the allegiance. These guys hit hard. They utilize the reinforcement mechanic uh, in multiple ways, either to generate additional attacks, up their strength, reduce their damage, and the armor value on these guys just means they're very survivable in what is a pretty survivable uh, group. And anytime they're not shooting at your alpha, and they're putting into your little dudes, your little dudes can come back. And if they're not trying to take down your alpha, then your alpha just wreaks havoc. And so they're, they have a total, uh, danged if you do, danged if you don't, uh, that I really enjoy as both a commander and as, as someone trying to solve the puzzle against them. Now, just like most titans, they have the defense of three and the willpower of two. So very low stats to kind of provide additional margins, but their are armor 11. They are armor 11 in a faction that has an average armor of six little less these guys are massively survivable in comparison to the rest of the force and they should be they are the absolute paragon of the team and so i really like them and it wouldn't be a Titan episode if I didn't at least touch on uh Horomitanji, who can fight for both and be a commander in both uh the Gibbering Horde and the Cult of the Burning Man. Uh he is utterly ridiculous, and if you have not uh looked at his card, look at his card. Uh particularly the front side. He is a commander, he is a Titan. So he gets a free tactical action or free morale action every turn uh, in addition to whatever actions the order grants him. He can take three upgrades as a commander because he has Titan. And you always get to take the most upgrades of whatever status stations that you have uh, within the game or unit type. Uh... His superheated claws means he's a dedicated assassin, and the reason for that is if the target uh, discards, or the target has to discard any asset that is flipped during this action. So any damage he does, if that asset flips, so on your titans, your commanders, your champions, anything that has a a disabled mechanic asset attached to it gets hit by a superheated claws and does damage that asset is gone so he if he gets into a commander their bad things just happen uh he is essentially godzilla uh he's in he is a malaysian godzilla uh, and you know he should be feared and respected as such Uh, and he has a tactics value, so pretty cool there. So, the focus of most of the Titans that I've talked about so far have been melee-centric with some range support. I'm going to go Earth-side now, and we're going to look at the, the other side of the Titan spectrum. So, let's look at the King's Empire. And with the King's Empire... We see the noble and very mecha-like King's Hand. Now, the King's Hand is probably my favorite looking titan. Uh, because it reminds me the most of, you know, the anime robots of my youth. Uh, it's got some pretty cool things. Uh, the u- units uh do not need to discard a card to shoot into engagement. So he can shoot into engagement without uh having to discard a card, which is huge in uh, a faction that's really good at shooting that the opponents are probably going to jump into the line as much as possible to disrupt you. He kind of goes, yeah, you can do that, but I'm going to make you pay for it. Uh, he has a massive gatling gun as a base attack. And he's got powerful shot. So on a margin of 3, he gets to raise his strength by 1, and he can do that multiple times. And the base strength on it is 3, base range of 18. Uh, King's hand is not to be trifled with, and you can configure him a couple of different ways. So on his right arm slot, he can add a versatile, uh, massive machine gun. Uh, acting value 6, versus defense, 16-inch range, strength 2, area weapon. Uh, it has option for wide arc on a margin of 2, uh, which increase, in, immediately increases the pulse range of the area action by 1, uh, and you can declare that multiple times. So area is 3-inch base. If you have a margin of 2, you go to 4. Um, or 4 inches if you have 4 margin available, you could do it twice and go to an area of 5 inches and really wreak havoc on people that are trying to avoid the, the area damage. And on a ram, uh, he can take this action again against a different fire team in the target's unit. Uh, so again, he is all about the ranged hate. Uh, or he can take an armor-piercing machine gun. Uh, strength 4, again... Uh, Versatile, AV6, 16 inches, and piercing. Uh, again, powerful shot. So on a margin of 3, he gets to raise the strength, can be declared multiple times. And then on a mask, he's got concentrated fire. Uh, the action immediately gains plus 2 strength. So this is for ripping apart heavy armor targets. If you're facing Abyssinia, or you're planning on facing Alpha Titans this machine gun is one of your best friends I highly recommend it uh, on his head he can have a soul stone processing matrix which is automatic defense uh, this unit may discard two cards uh, when suffering damage if it does you reduce the damage by one uh, which means if you're suffering one you could discard two cards and reduce that damage to zero because you've reduced it by one uh, and he also has moments of free will. When this, uh, when this unit is in glory, its fire teams gains plus one AV to all duels. Alternatively, you can go with the Soulstone Powered Laser. It's versatile. It is a strength six, magic attack versus defense, eight inch range, strength four. Uh, if this action kills a fire team, you get to draw a card. Uh, in his left hand, you can have a massive drill, AV seven, range four, strength three piercing and <laughs> gives him a tactical action called drill baby drill Create a 50 inch piece of difficult low terrain place it in base contact with this unit if any fire teams are touched by this terrain piece when it is placed they suffer a strength free hit and that's sort of him so you as you're seeing you can kind of configure him with one of the machine guns one, the soulstone powered laser and the massive drill, and he just outputs a ton of damage. He'll have four attacks a turn if he's in, uh, if he's in engagement, or if he has something within four inches of him, that he or something he can get within four inches of, he can use his massive drill. He is just a beast. Uh, there's, there's not a lot to say about him other than he is just really strong on the whole. Uh, the one interesting bit to note is his left hand only currently has the option for the massive drill. His right hand has two different machine guns you can place in it. Uh, but you only get to pick one of those, and then he has the head where he can pick either. Uh, he can either play a little more defensively with the Soulstone Processing Matrix, or uh, if you're going for maximum offensive output, again, it's one of the two machine guns. It's the Soulstone Powered Laser and the Massive Drill. Uh, he is a ranged killer with melee support. So this theme kind of goes, again... On the, with the, the other half of the Earthside forces with Abyssinia and we have the honorable and venerable, uh, Dreadnought. Now the Dreadnought is really interesting. The first time I saw it, the first thing I thought of was Triwalkers from the Johnny Quest universe. And it's got a little bit of a Dr. Robotnik feel in that it's sort of an egg cylinder uh, where three Abyssinians are seated, each with their own uh, weapon, uh, three massive crushing legs, and a whole bunch of stuff you can put around this furnace. And it is just built as a awesome weapons platform. And so, its base has, uh, crushing legs. So after this fire team completes a movement, choose one enemy fire team that this fire team moved over. That fire team suffers a strength to hit. The penetration flip may not be cheated. Uh, it has a base armor of 12. Uh, I neglected to say on the, uh, the King's Empire side, it also has an armor of 12 for the King's Hand. The King's Hand is speed 5, and the Dreadnought is speed 6. So Earth side, we see them being a little less mobile, but having a little more threat projection with their with their weapons with their with their guns. So again, we have a mounted Gatling gunner, uh, AV six, fifteen inch range, strength three. Target gains a pin token. Uh, on a mask, it has nimble, uh, which means that you get to move this fire team up to its speed. So we have the mounted gunners, and mounted gunners are plentiful, so you can have more than one of these attached. Uh, It again is versatile, again, same range, 15 inches, same AV, 6, strength 3, and again, target gains a pin token. Uh, It also has the ability to take a magic dampener, uh, dampening field, all magic attack actions taken within 8 inches suffer minus 2 AV. Uh, It can, in its core slot, can have a massive furnace, Uh, it's versatile, uh, flamethrower, Seven, uh, active value 7 RAM, uh, 3 inch range, strength 2. Target discards a reinforcement token. Uh, on a mask, it gains nibble and burn it all. Take this action against another fire team in range. So, can produce a lot of attacks if you're going to play it really close up uh, with the flamethrower. So, kind of neat. Uh, or in the core, you can have a mortar emplacement. Morgan placement again, AV7, 28 inch range, strength 3 area. Uh, if you discard a card when declaring the action, it ignores line of sight and cover. Uh, on a RAM, it is deafening. All non Titan Fire teams within Pulse 5 of the target must move one inch directly away from the target and discard all inspired tokens on their unit. Quite handy against certain opponents. Um, the one that comes to mind the most is actually King's Empire. Uh, King's Empire is going to utilize Inspired Tokens the most. They have some of the easiest access to them and they tend to bunch up a little bit more. Uh, five inches is going to get most uh, it's going to get most um, units. It's going to get most units. So it's quite quite good for that uh in the processor slot it's got, got computational brain uh cunnings it can gain tactics one uh, if it already has tactics it gains plus one tactics instead so if you're if you play a lot of uh, the lord of steel like i plan to and i have in various t- times the the fact that he gets one tactics can sometimes feel like a little bit of a detriment having tactics available on your Dreadnought can kind of help solve a bit of that problem. Uh, additionally, you could go the Gramophone Amplifier, which is also in the processor slot. This gives you the Abyssinian Anthem, uh, so when a unit ends its activation, Friendly squads within one or more fire... one or more this fire team within four. Uh, the unit... of this unit, fire team... If, the unit's fire team gains a reinforcement token. So, basically, it can move up when it ends its movement, when it ends its activation. If there are friendly squads that have more, uh, one or more fire teams within four of this unit, those units gain a reinforcement token. So, he can really help support your elite troops quite a bit and it becomes a range support platform, which is kind of its intention. So there's a couple configurations I really love. Um I am a huge fan of the three mounted gunners, Uh which, for those counting at home, if you take three of the mounted gunners and you have a base gunner on your platform, that is four attacks a turn, Uh each putting out a pin token. That's pretty darn good. Uh, on a 15-inch range with a... Uh, 6 inch walk and potential to take another 6 inch walk off of the nimble trigger on the main gun so that's a lot that's pretty substantial threat that's 21 inches base and potential to move on the main gun you can kind of configure it against enemies magic dampeners becomes really interesting and important against uh, you know things on the other side uh, in terms of Cult of the Burning Man, which has mostly uh, magic attacks, the Dampening Field can be really strong. Uh, additionally, the Massive Furnace, if you're configuring it to try and get maximum speed, you can get a second Nimble uh, trigger option by taking the Flamethrower. Now, you are having this thing be a little bit closer, but it's got a built-in... It takes this action again, so you can really up your damage count as well. Uh, the mortar is fantastic, but you do have to realize that it does not have versatile. So if you're taking the mortar, you're essentially changing out your main gun for the mortar bombardment. The mortar bombardment is very good, so don't don't think I'm against it at all. I think it's really strong and it's definitely something to consider often. Uh the brain again I like with certain commanders, but the gramophone offers quite a bit of tactical flexibility, particularly if you're playing high value infantry. So, what have we kind of learned going through the Titans and their upgrades? Well, in the case of the Dreadnought, the Dreadnought is a support weapons platform. Uh, so it plays very well into the super elite uh, army that is Abyssinia. So, it plays a very ranged game with the ability to kind of customize against an opponent... uh through the utilization of its different uh assets. Same thing with the King's Hand. Again, the King's Hand, you have a little bit more of a ranged killer, where I would say the Dreadnought is a little bit more of a ranged support. Um it's not to say the Dreadnought won't kill things, but the King's Hand is a dedicated ranged assassin in many cases, just because of this high strength it can generate off of its guns, its longer range, uh, higher armor, a little bit slower speed. So, on the Earth side, we see a tendency towards ranged platforms with support melee ability. On the Malifaux side, we definitely see melee focus Melee attacks, high strength out of those melee attacks, a little bit lower armor values than you see Earthside. Uh, slightly in the case of the Alpha being an 11 to the Earthside's 12s, uh, or in the Gorsight's case, kind of the extreme, a 6, versus the two 12s of the Earthside and the 11 of the Gibbering Horde. So... Who kind of wins in the Titan on Titan battle? Well, it's not quite as simple as all that because you're going to have a whole army, uh, helping to support them and these guys are going to be built in as part of your list selection and part of your, part of your plan. And part of that planning is getting the most out of these units. So how do you do it? If you're utilizing a melee platform, you want to build toward making it a melee platform, which may sound, you know, simplistic. But that's when you're when you're building your force, you want to make sure that. You're bringing every element in the forest for a purpose. It has a reason to be there. And this includes the assets and configuration of your particular titan. So, if I'm utilizing the Alpha, and I'm going to talk about the Alpha a little bit more than the Gorsythe, because I've played with the Alpha more than I've played with the Gorsythe. The Alpha is really built to break the opponent's army. It wants to break their favorite toy. Uh, in many cases, it is going to be your best armor cracker. Uh, particularly in the configuration that I like to play. Uh, the configuration that I've talked about quite a bit, and we'll go back to it to kind of highlight uh, the melee beater and its role. Again, it's going to be over-eager with rolling innards. And multi-limbed. All right. So, what does this give us? It is going to give us in our configuration uh, a weapons platform that is built for speed and melee hitting power. Uh, Furious charge is all of that. It's two. It's plus two speed. So we go up to speed 9 base, 18-inch base movement on a rush order, 3-inch range on the melee attacks. Go to AV, or plus 2 AV means we go from AV6 to AV8. That's very strong, in particular into the targets that I want to be hitting in many cases. We've got rolling innards. So when we attack, the first thing we're going to do once we move into position is we're going to be projectile vomiting. If the... Typically all the time. The only time we're not going to be is if we are taking on a Titan. Uh Now if we're going to take on a Titan, I'm going to want to use the projectile vomit before I use the rush speed. So I'm going to want to be with an aid of that particular titan ahead of time, if it's in glory, because the main thing with projectile vomiting is that I hit and that I de-glory whatever I'm fighting, because I want them to be as squishy as possible. Then I want to utilize my multi-limb. Again, versatile attack. Strength three. Which is typically enough to get rid of most things. And I can discard, on a mask I can discard a reinforcement token to take the action again. So the intention with this particular model is to run forward and smash. So in many cases the alpha is going to be my first wave. I want it in the face of the enemy as quickly as possible. And so with the configuration that i normally like with this particular army is to utilize Hormatanji as one of my two commanders. Second commander is gonna be Storm he's gonna be Storm Siren typically. And again that's to help set up the alphas by moving the opponent's uh, fire teams around, particularly their Titan. Because I like his game into other Titans. Now if I know that my opponent is going to bring titans or going to bring high armor, the massive arm becomes a little more attractive. And that's because of the higher base strength. I lose out on the potential for an attack, but the higher strength typically is going to be more valuable into opponent t- an, an opponent's titan. Uh, or higher value t- uh, infantry. So it's kind of a little bit of a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B there. So melee wise, I like to make sure that I have clean lanes to rush through. So when I'm placing my titans, I'm going to place my titans before I place my remaining units because of how the rules of the game are for deployment, titans go down first, uh then <coughs> squads, and then everything else, which would include your commanders. So with titans going down first, I want to make sure they have clean lanes and lanes where if I'm, if I'm playing my alpha, I want to threaten my opponent's titan. And so if I'm deploying second, I want to deploy my titans kind of opposite theirs. I want to project as much threat onto their titan as possible. Uh, and that's, that's what I want to do in the case of a melee titan. Now in the case of a ranged support titan, where we're talking about uh, the dreadnought and king's hand, those play slightly differently. I want to, in those configurations, I want to utilize space and utilize my reach as much as possible. Uh, so we're going to look at the king's hand a little bit. So, the King's Hand, let's say we're facing gibbering Hordes. My instinct is probably going to be to bring the Armor-Piercing Machine Gun, the Soulstone Processing Matrix. I know it's a little weird to deny myself an attack, but I think the potential to utilize cards to remove damage, and the ability to up my AV during... uh during glory duels, or once I'm gloried, uh, it's quite quite strong uh, over the the soulstone powered laser, and then I'm gonna take the massive drill because I know they're gonna be coming into me, and if they're gonna be coming into me, I'm gonna get a lot of work out of that particular drill uh, through both the the tactical action and the potential to you know use my four inch reach against something with uh, with only three inch. Or 4-inch melee, melee range versus 3-inch melee range. So, I have... If I take these two, I have... I need to be within 16 inches of my prey. To get the most out of my machine gun. Because I'm going to use my armor-piercing machine gun. I'm going to use my Gatling gun. And once I become a uh by the enemy titan, which I've hopefully done some significant damage to uh, utilizing my gun, I'm going to be able to uh, keep the king's hand upright utilizing the soul stone processor and, uh, you know, come back and counterpunch with the massive drill and then uh, continue to, to spray and pray with the armored machine gun. So I'd like to offset my range unit. So if if I'm deploying second, and I see that my opponent's kind of centralizing their titans, I'm going to try and get the titan off to a flank by placing my titan offset of theirs. I may try and get as much distance between the two of us as possible, because the more distance I have, the more shooting time I have into his infantry, or into his titans before they get to me, and can really start utilizing damage. Uh, so the same holds true with the, uh, with the other ranged option, which is the dreadnought. Same principles apply. I want to use my reach to keep them from delivering their death blow. So, it's kind of like boxing. If you're you're a boxing fan, the, uh, the Earthside Titans are have longer reach, so they're going to use they're going to use their advantage to keep the opponent at bay and kind of jab at him uh, as often as possible. Because they know if the the other guy gets close, he's got a wicked uppercut, and if they let him get close, they can get knocked out by the by those uppercuts. But if I can keep him at range, I can come in later. After I've worn him out by keeping him at bay, you know, and deliver my haymaker, uh, utilizing my reach. And I just have to make sure that I keep him at bay to uh, to uh not get, you know, the uppercut and, and knocked out. So that's kind of a dance that you do with Titans and Threat Range and Threat Range Projection to really get the most out of them. So they're definitely a model that I think... You need to play with in the other side. I don't think they're an every game piece, but I think they're an often piece. Uh, there's some armies that are going to utilize them way more than others. Uh, the first being, uh, gibbering Hordes. Gibbering Hordes, I am on record as stating, you know, I'll state it again. I think two alphas is a very good place to start a lot of lists with uh the gibbering hordes be kind of they're kind of because of the way that they're designed. Their base infantry is going to recur and you want it to recur. You know, the smaller the smaller squads. It's what we want to do is recur those as often as often as possible. And part of the way that you help Deliver your small guys who can do the, do the final blow is having some real severe threats that need concentration of firepower to keep your main units upright. Because they don't have a lot of armor. You know, it's, it's very possible that you're going to have units that never reach the, the opponent's side while playing uh jibbering horde. But if you bring the big guys, the guns can kind of ha- kind of have to concentrate on the big guys and it leaves your little guys free to do what they need to do from an objective standpoint and to kind of exploit any breakthroughs that the alphas are able to, to provide you uh, so I am a, I'm a huge fan of the alpha I am also a huge fan of the I'm a huge fan of the King's Hand in a lot of configurations of King's Empire list. And that's because King's Empire wants to shoot things. And the King's Hand is very good at shooting things to death. Uh And it's very hard to take him down. He has very high armor stat. He can stand way back and shoot. And then when he's done doing that, he can walk backwards... And go can you hit me? You know, so he's got a way to kind of keep that reach game going. Uh I mean I feel the exact same way about the dreadnought. I've utilized the dreadnought a ton in Abyssinian list. And it's because he just can just be so darn versatile. Uh he helps hey he helps Abyssinia play the game that they want to play in many cases, which is to take very elite uh expensive infantry units that hit very hard but have difficulty suffering losses and he helps mitigate that with the uh, gramophone upgrade he can additionally, or the dreadnought additionally can provide quite a volume of firepower downrange and utilizes a ton of pin tokens I really like him into uh you know the uh f- the gibbering horde because gibbering horde utilizes a ton of reinforcement tokens and if they don't bring the uh the welks if they don't bring the welks they're susceptible to pin tokens and i want to make sure that i have a good source a good reliable source of pin tokens uh in general in in a lot of my lists but especially into Jibbering Hordes. And so I really like all of the Titans, the Gorsythe included. Uh, Again, the Gorsythe I have the least experience with, uh, both with and against. That said, I see really strong potential for the Gorsythe as a melee weapons platform. It just does really different things. And in a lot of ways, Cult of the Burning Man is all about doing things in really different ways. And so I appreciate that. and I like that quite a bit. I don't know that I would go multiple Gorsiths, but I'm sure somebody's going to do it, and they're going to prove to be incredibly effective because Titans are good in this game. But you also don't, need to have one you can you can play just fine and play list just fine without a titan uh, whether your opponent brings a titan or not uh, so it's kind of the great thing about the other side is your list building is really up to you and up to the scenario and up to your your skill level with certain pieces but i encourage you to try them out get them onto the battlefield and I want to I want to start a discussion about the Titans in general. I mean, who do you think would win in a straight up fight? Is it as simple as, you know, the the ranged guy is going to win because he's ranged, or the Alpha is going to win because he seems to be built to get in to the threat range of all of these models and just tear them apart uh, with his high strength? or is it the dreadnought with his versatility uh, or is it the Gorsythe with his sheer potential volume of attacks and recursion ability you know let me know who let me know who you think would win uh let me know if you've liked this episode as we kind of go through uh the four titans how the options that you have with them kind of their playstyle And I'm definitely a topic I want to revisit once uh, the Kickstarter starts rolling out and we get more table time with all of these. So until that time, remember, if you've got a tactics token, you can make a coordinated strike.